Welcome to another edition of the Litigation Psychology Podcast brought to you by Courtroom Sciences, Inc. I'm Dr. Bill Kanaski, litigation consultant at Courtroom Sciences. With me today is my good friend, Tim Christ from Texas. Tim, how are you doing today? I'm wonderful, Bill. How are you? Tim, uh, it, well, it's Friday. You know, thank God it's Friday. Another, uh, another long week in the, in the COVID era. Uh, by the time this broadcast, we'll see if we have a president. Who knows? But between COVID and uh, social uh, unrest and political pressure, boy, it's it's kind of exhausting. So it's, it's good to do the podcast and be able to not talk about that stuff. Tim, tell us about your career, because I find you a very intriguing figure. You're a non-attorney, but you do a lot of work uh, in the legal industry. Can you tell our audience kind of your area of expertise and the services that you provide for clients? Sure. So I, I really grew up in the insurance business as a forensic engineer, uh, even though I didn't have an engineering background, uh, with the goal of me ultimately transitioning into the sales and marketing and business development side of that business, uh, ultimately ended up transitioning into the executive management side of that business. And uh, so, yeah, I just grew up really and learned, you know, everything about, you know, investigations and then mediations and trials and, and managing experts and uh, and whatnot and really just fell in love with the insurance business. And so just been working in that really for almost 20 years now. Okay. When you say you fell in love with insurance, I'm not buying that. No one's in love with <laughs> You got to be honest on my podcast. Come on. I, I hear the word insurance. I start to get a headache. But if you say you fell in love with it, okay. Um, Tim, tell us about your book, which you graciously sent me a free copy of, Becoming a World-Class Expert, The Business of Forensic Engineering. Tell us about, uh, tell us about what's in the book and what, um, what was the kind of genesis of this book? Why, why, why did you write it and what were you trying to accomplish? Sure. Well, I guess I can answer a couple of questions for you there, Bill. So yeah. one of the reasons I fell in love with the insurance business is when you're investigating insurance claims, it's something different every day. And yeah. so what I found, you know, in the forensic engineering business is we were like CSI, but for real. And so, you know, just like being Sherlock Holmes and, you know, what's funny about insurance claims is in a lot of claims, there's some element of fraud. And so, you know, we have to go out every single day yeah. in the investigation uh, process and just have in the back of our mind, not that it has to be involved in this claim, but there might be some element of fraud here, right? Whether it's an exaggerated uh, claim or, or some element of, you know, causal analysis that, you know, creates a contractual issue or other. So um, it's always fun just to see people at the best and worst of times and, and try to navigate that road, right? So that was just, that was really what became fun for me. And so I ended up traveling globally doing these oh, wow. investigations. Um, and so my passion became to build a forensic engineering business in Mexico City. And so I um, was ultimately able to accomplish that. And the reason I wrote the book was one of my key employees that helped me build that business down there, a guy named Tony Alarbo that was a Venezuelan mechanical engineer. He passed away from cancer in 2017. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to do something to honor his memory. And okay. so I had probably 50, 60% of the book written in either client-facing stuff that we'd written in articles or whatnot, or in training materials that we used. And so over the holidays in 2017, I sat down and I said, let me finish, you know, let me finish the book here and uh, published it in early 2018 in time to speak. I'm, I'm a speaker at the Ermes International uh, Energy Conference every year. And so I published it in time to get it in front of that conference. Um, and then his family was just over the moon, obviously, with, uh, you know, with honoring him in that book. But uh, that was really the impetus to write the book was to honor his memory. 
But in the book, I just basically, I lay out what the insurance business model looks like, um, how the insurance claims process works. And then I talk about different types of forensic investigations. I talk about vehicle accident claims. I talk about property investigations. I talk about cyber claims. I talk about professional mm -hmm. liability claims, really helping people to use the actual case study to then understand the concept of, of the insurance contract behind it um, and hopefully be able to help them accelerate their careers faster. Because at the end of the day, I think, you know, all of us that have been, you know, successful, our job is to reach down and pull others up. And so the book was one way that I tried to um, help, help other people have a faster journey than I did because it took us several years to figure out the insurance business, unfortunately. Um, and I'd like to be a little bit more strategic, you know, the next time we do yeah. something like that. Well, it's a very complicated business, as you know. You did a great job uh, with your book. Um, as a litigation consultant, uh, I have to deal a lot with insurance companies. And so I wore my favorite shirt today because this is the message I have to the insurance industry, go hard or go home. Because what makes me nuts about the insurance industry is oftentimes it's, it's more reactive than proactive and a lot of saving pennies over here, but you're exposed to millions over here. Doesn't make a lot of sense. So try to, trying to sell to my clients to be more aggressive, be more proactive, uh, because that's what the plaintiff's bar is doing today. They're very, very proactive. And I know that um, you've uh, looked a lot into things like uh, mediation. I think mediation, uh, I think there's a science behind mediation. I think that um, uh, the defense uh, oftentimes has a great opportunity in mediation to resolve a case uh, at a fair value. Can you talk about um, your thoughts about um, the role of experts uh, and how they can be used in a mediation to hopefully resolve the case in a, in a fair, equitable way? Yes, that's a great question. Um, I think that, you know, sitting in on, you know, well over 100 mediations um, when we were trying to resolve a number of claims, what you start to see is patterns, right? And so, um, if you have both sides that are coming to a mediation with the honest intent to settle, or at least the honest intent to understand the position of the other person, I think you can advance the ball. But I think if you have a, uh, at least on the insurance side, if you have an adjuster that says, well, I'm not going to write a check over X dollar amount, and I don't care what else gets shown at me. Um, and they may not have all the facts, uh, you know, when they make that particular determination, right? And so part of the role of the expert in mediation is, you know, I'll sit down with that opposing expert and we'll hash through the facts of the case. Are there some gray areas that maybe, you know, he found that for some reason we didn't find, or if there's some information they were privy to that we were not privy to, obviously that can dramatically influence, you know, our ultimate opinion. And so really the, the role with the expert is let's gain a true and complete understanding of what all the facts are. And then that way I can go back and advise my client in the side room to say, Hey, based on this new information that, that has been made available to us, here's my range of opinions. And at the end of the day, you know, I'd say, you know, the insurance business, at the end of the day, it's a business, right? Everything should be about return on investment. And so the business side of my brain has always really enjoyed the insurance business from, you know, if it's going to cost us more to investigate than, to, than the actual loss is, let's just pay the claim and walk down the road, right? Yeah. And so, <clears throat> so that's the way I really view the strategic role of experts in mediation is to make sure that a complete analysis of all the facts is gathered for present to your client the range of opportunities or the range of ways that this thing could go based on what you know, and then let them make a business decision, which is really what they're needing yeah. to make in mediation, make a business decision about, do we spend another 20 or $30,000 in litigation costs to push this thing forward? 
or do we settle for this what should be a fair dollar amount or you know occasionally the other side is completely unreasonable the facts are not on their side and they yeah. want to you know they want to roll the dice and take it to trial and see what a jury of 12 says right so in those cases you can't do anything although i will say you know you can have some short presentations obviously in mediation where i provide some information and it allows the other side and the other side's uh client to see what i'm going to say in trial and so it sort of gives them a bit of a peek behind the curtain where they can say we're going to have to overcome this if we choose yeah. to move forward and sometimes it helps a plaintiff attorney to some extent i, I hate to say plaintiff because i work for both sides but occasionally it can help that other opposing attorney to reconcile the expectation side on their client side as well when they start to see the, the mountainous evidence maybe against them and you know helps to helps to bring them more in line with what a reasonable or amicable conclusion could be excellent now whether you're a plaintiff or a defendant what 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 should a client look for when hiring an expert because i just because somebody is an expert doesn't necessarily mean they're a very good witness yet they may be an expert right so what what advice would you give clients on when picking and choosing experts what kind of things should they be looking for or maybe even be like be aware of yeah so that's a really complicated question um, because it really depends on the type of case that you've got right so in general i'll tell you that like for example property damage cases never go to trial so in, in that vein, I don't have to have, I mean, while it would still be nice to have the best expert possible, I can have a more junior engineer still go out and give me, you know, a full assessment as long as they're, you know, as long as they know what they're doing, give me a report that I need to know and, and, I, and likely that claim is going to settle. But if it's a personal injury claim or if it's a, you know, a patent litigation or it's, you know, some other higher likelihood of trial opportunity tri um, type of project, then I think that that changes the bar as far as where you need to go look for your experts. Um, but in general, obviously, you need to have somebody that's got an incredible amount of ex experience in that field, you know, ideally has worked for both sides, because then, I mean, I hate to say it, but it's the truth. There are experts that play, play one side or the other. And I mean, I've, I've torn reports to shreds where guys have chosen to only include the facts that supported their conclusion. And so yeah, um, yeah. you really want somebody that's, you know, simply fair and impartial. I always say that the expert should really be an advocate for the court. The expert's role is not to determine who wins or loses. The expert's role is to determine and explain here are the facts of the case. Based on the facts of the case, here are the likelihood of reasonable ways that this thing went down. And then let the two parties decide based on contractual language and a variety of other things and case law, what, you know, what likely should come as a result of that. And so, um, the experts should be impartial, but obviously we live in an imperfect world. And so we've, we've seen both sides, but yeah, they should definitely have experience. You obviously, if you're going to have the potential of a trial, they need to be very well-spoken. They need to be thoughtful. You know, you don't want it to be their first rodeo and deposition or trial either, because there's a number of rookie mistakes that can made by any uh, expert. You know, you being a, a litigation consultant are well aware of yeah. the need to prepare every, every witness, not just expert witnesses, but the need to prepare every witness because, it's so funny. I've been in mediation and trial several times where, you know, we prep somebody and then all of a sudden they get in that chair and what we just talked about 30 minutes prior, they completely forget about <clears throat> and their mouth runs off with them. And you're like, Oh my God, what just happened? And it just crucifies you in some cases. Right. And so yeah. that's the, that's the reality of what happens. So, um, you know, obviously us, you know, having seen the full spectrum of it, it we, we can have an ironic view of it, uh, and yeah. more of a, uh, now, I don't want to say a sarcastic view because that's not correct, but we can have an experiential view of it to say, 
here's the best practice for is for how you need to manage this. Yeah, and I, I've seen some terrible uh, <laughs> expert witness testimony, and you're right. It's not because the person's trying to screw it up. Typically, it's one of an emotion gets evolved. They have this amygdala hijack, and that happens because, listen, experts are human beings. They're not robots, right? Um, but I would argue, I would strongly argue that experts, um, just because they're experts in their field, don't mean that they're they're expert witnesses per se, meaning that they have the right communication skills. Can you talk about how it's important to prep the expert just like a fact witness? I mean, they have, they're human, they have communication skills. And while they have this very specialized knowledge, they're still going to have to come across likely to a jury one day. Can you talk about how it's important to really put the expert through that type of preparation and not just let them wing it because they're smart and they're an expert in their field, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, I mean, there's, there's a lot of things that come into play. I mean, obviously when you get the benefit of, of having looked at a number of expert reports and, and been involved in a lot of different cases, I mean, every now and again, I've had guys that have written reports that had a small error in them. And so part of the preparation piece is, Oh crap. I didn't realize, you know, I mean, we had a fire case one time where, you know, the, the report actually said that the wind came out of the north and really the wind changed direction during the, during the course of the fire. And so when the lady, you know, when the supposing attorney said, is this your report? You know, is everything true and correct? We immediately said, you know what, there's actually one error that we, you know, that we need to correct from that report. And so it totally threw her off of her game because she had already expected to walk us down the road of everything's true and correct. Yes, you know, so you testify that everything here is true and then box us in and then all of a sudden say, well, isn't it true that this other piece of evidence contradicts your report? And then, you know, then would there have been, you know, reasonable doubt created in the minds of the jury, at least to that, you know, evidentiary issue. And then she would also obviously blow, try to blow that up to say, well, if we can't trust that was correct, why can we trust anything else in your report? Right. And so um, yeah. <clears throat> preparation is key. Um, but, you know, there's just a lot of little nuances with expert witnesses and, and testimony. For example, you know, experts need to understand that you have to stay in your in your very narrow lane. And so, you know, a great example of that is fire investigators. You know, if the fire is caused by some electrical issue, the fire investigator needs to have very clear testimony to say, you know, I found the area of origin of the fire to be in this area, but then based on the investigation done by an electrical engineer, he determined that there was an electrical short that ultimately caused the fire, blah, blah, blah. But if he just says, oh yeah, well, the fire was determined by an electrical failure, oh, well, you're not an electrical engineer, are you, Mr. You know, fire investigator? Well, of course not. And so there's just, there's some wordsmithing that needs to happen there, which is all comes down to preparation and practice. Uh, and there, you know, then, you know, obviously you from the, from the litigation side, there are, you know, a number of plaintiff attorneys will try to ask those multi-part questions and those get very, very dangerous for experts. And so I, what I, we always counsel our experts is guys, you know, Number one, ask them, say, would you please separate out those questions and I'll answer one at yeah. a time because that takes a lot of the risk out of the equation. Um, right. But then, too, you have to be very careful that you, you know, obviously a lot of us are smart and so we already think we know where they're going. And so we have the tendency to want to be helpful and want to volunteer information. And that's a yeah. terrible thing to do in litigation. And so answer the question only that they ask and be very, very brief in your response. But then, you know, especially in those cases where there is some potential gray, there's a discussion in, on the strategy side to say, how, what's the right way to answer this question that likely will put my client in a better position, whether it's for mediation or ultimate trial, 
where I'm still telling the truth, but at least it's a, it's a better guard for kind of what their ultimate position is. That's an advanced technique that obviously you need to get through a number of trials before we start to teach that. But I mean, yeah. there is some real advantage to having an expert help the, the attorney, their own attorney box in the other side on, on where they can take the case. Absolutely. Now you had mentioned a story in the past. You purposely tried to wreck a truck to, oh, what, what in the world? Like my, my 16 year old did that. I think he tried to wreck my truck. He did a really good job at it. What, what happened with you? I got to hear the story. No, that was, that was a really fun case. I, I say fun, you know, obviously um, when it, they're all projects. And so unfortunately in this particular case, there was a lot of loss of life involved. So three people died and a number of other people were seriously injured, but it was a, it was a commercial tractor trailer um, with a, a large grocery chain here in Texas that got into a wreck on I-35 outside of San Antonio. And the part of the question became is the truck and a dump truck impacted together very early in the, in the sequence of events. And then they ultimately ended up wrecking a number of other passenger vehicles. And so the question became, well, did the tractor trailer impact the dump truck first or did, or, or vice versa? And so which, what ultimately is the root cause of the accident? Because otherwise it was the commercial tractor trailer CGL policy that would pay out or, well, actually they were self-insured to a fairly high level. So it would have been a, a you know, their personal payout or did, you know, did the dump truck have some liability here? And so since, you know, we couldn't determine based on the evidence that was available at the scene exactly what happened, it was a large enough case, obviously, with the, with the dollars involved, where our self-insured client said, I've got the, the next truck that came off the production line from Kenworth. I will give you guys that truck to go try to recreate the accident. And if you can wreck it, if, you know, showing that the dump truck impacted us first, obviously, that's huge for us. And, you know, and I'm not trying to sway your opinion one way or the other, but I want to, you know, if you can determine this through testing, we will absolutely, you know, fund that, that exercise. And so we get to take a commercial tractor trailer out to a test track in Uvalde, which is about an hour and a half outside of San Antonio, and literally try to wreck it on purpose. And so, yeah, we, we very rarely get to do experiments in the expert witness arena, um, but to actually get to try to wreck a truck on purpose is a whole lot of fun. That is, uh, that's a first. I have not heard about that one before. <laughs> uh, to wrap up here, Tim, can you tell us, yeah, a lot of my clients are dealing with uh, claims in which the plaintiff is obviously exaggerating the extent of their injuries. Uh, this has been going on a long time. It's not slowing down. Um, can you talk to me about how the biomechanical engineer experts can be used to maybe thwart some of that and to maybe prove some of that wrong to show, no, this report of the injuries is actually impossible because scientifically I, I can explain it as the expert. Yeah, no, that's a that's a great question. Um, it, it's interesting because it does vary a little bit by jurisdiction, depending on where you are in the country. Um, most most attorneys will use medical doctors to try to prove a, an injury causation and then to prove the extent of injury. Um, and they try to wrap it all up into the into the doctor. But you can insert an additional expert into that arena, which is a biomechanical engineer, as you mentioned, because the doctor is really only the person that says, you know, they take the patient in, hey, how did you get hurt? They take the report from the patient. Their job, the doctor, is really not to determine the mode of injury. Their job is to determine, are they injured? And if so, what's the rehabilitation process? And so if you can, if, you know, and like I said, not, not all courts are, are favorable to this interpretation, but some are. Um, Southern Louisiana generally does not like the, <laughs> the additional layer of complexity, but um, a lot of courts are. 
But if you can say, hey, the biomechanical job is to determine the forces that were at play in this accident and determine whether or not the injuries that are either reported and or sustained by the plaintiff are true and correct as a result of this particular injury. Now, the, the one that happens all the time is the low speed back, back injury where, you know, you get rear-ended at five or eight miles an hour and then they say, oh my gosh, I've got a herniated back and I, I need surgery and all these other things. And the plaintiff is, you know, 55 years old. Well, we all know, you know, Bill and you and I are, you know, we're getting, you know, gray hair now and <laughs> for what little we have. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love gray hair. And so, you know, we, we've all got back problems once we get north of 40 years old. Yeah. And so, you know, just because we've never had an MRI of our back before doesn't mean that we didn't already have problems prior to that incident. And so the biomechanical engineer can look at the forces involved, the accident, what they call the Delta V, the change in velocity. And based upon the positioning of the plaintiff and, and you know, whether they, whether they turned or not, which seat were they in, what was their bodily reaction as, a, as you know, to the injury, um, and then basically link that to say either these injuries that they claim to have sustained are true and correct or they're likely exaggerated. So, you know, biomechanical, biomechanical engineers have had a lot of really good wins across the country in different jurisdictions um, because they help to parse out those injuries. And so if you can take a claim from, oh, my God, I have to have surgery down to, you know what, they need, you know, their Arosti chiropractor for six visits and they're good. Yeah. Well, that's a that's a thousand dollar bill. You know, we'll call it a day, and they're asking for you know one hundred fifty or three hundred thousand dollars for surgery. So uh, they can be highly beneficial. You know, in the right circumstances. Makes sense to me. So Tim, let's wrap up here. How can our audience get a copy of your book, or how can they contact you if they want to talk to you about claims issues or expert witness issues? Sure, I appreciate that, Bill. Uh, well, they're welcome to reach out to me at tchrist at claimatic .com. Um, or I'm pretty visible on LinkedIn. You're welcome to connect with me there. Um, and uh, yeah, the book is available on Amazon. If you Google Becoming a World Class Expert, the Business of Forensic Engineering, uh, you can get it on Kindle or paperback. And just, you know, really appreciate the opportunity to hopefully share some insights with your audience today and uh, yeah. look forward to, like you said, COVID being over and being back in a normal travel schedule. And I sure hope that in 2021, we'll be back at conferences live and in person. So. Outstanding. Tim, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for participating in this podcast. Litigation Psychology Podcast, Courtroom Sciences, Dr. Bill Kanaski signing off. See you next time. Thank you. Take care, Bill.